Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from two-time book author and Fortune 500 hardware product strategist on choosing which product features you need to design and how to validate those designs in the market. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Tony Olick to the show. Tony is the CEO of Stratagen, a company that has been in business since 1991, doing strategy consulting for high-growth innovative hardware companies. He is the author of two books and has had his articles published twice in the Harvard Business Review. He started out in the early days of his career as a design for manufacturing engineer at IBM. Today, Tony is going to share some valuable knowledge from vendors, startups, and small manufacturers on how to create hardware products that people want, why people buy your consumer product, and how to validate your invention idea through additive manufacturing in the market. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Kevin, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Well, very excited today to talk to you about strategy, especially around features and figuring out what features are actually critical to creating a great product with amazing product market fit. Feature creep is obviously something that is a well-known industry pitfall, especially in the hardware world, especially as a hardware startup. So what better person today than to talk to you, Tony, somebody who's worked with over a hundred hardware brands as they emerge, as they strategize the product features and requirements and everything that goes into that. But you've also had a couple of books that you've written. You've had articles published in Harvard Business Review. Give us a bit of a background of how you got to where you are today with your 30 plus years of experience. Sure. Yeah, I'll start right from the beginning because it was an interesting story. I was working for IBM back in the 1980s. I was a manufacturing engineer at the time doing design for manufacturability, in fact. And we worked on a product called the PC Junior, which was supposed to went over the home computing market and take it away from Apple. I poured my heart and soul into this for a number of months, about 18 months. We set up a manufacturing plant up in Lewisburg, Tennessee. We pumped out a whole inventory of products because we knew they'd jump off the shelf. The day after the product was introduced, the headlines in the Wall Street Journal read, the PC Junior is a flop. And it was. <laughs> we didn't want to admit it. Yeah. It turned out to be a billion dollar failure. And it got me wondering, you know, how could a company like IBM and all its vast resources invest in a hardware product such as that, that failed miserably in the marketplace? So that took me down a path of trying to figure out, well, how do we create products and features that people want, right? And what really occurred to me is that how did the folks at the Wall Street Journal know that the product was a flop? You know, they were using some set of metrics to decide this was a no-go. And the thought was, if we only knew well in advance what metrics people are going to use to measure the value of our product, we could just design the product to meet those metrics, and then we'd have a whole different story. So my careers led me down this path to figure out, well, what are those metrics? What inputs do we need from customers in order to make innovation more predictable, you know, in order for us to know what features to add? in order to know when to not copy a competitor's feature. All that comes into play, and I look forward to sharing that process with your audience. Well, what an amazing history and experience in dealing with a billion-dollar corporate failure, all because the process wasn't done in advance. So what we want to do here today is make sure that the hardware startups and emerging product brands that are listening don't follow that same fate. So when we're thinking about developing the product or innovating on the existing product that we have, yeah. where do we start? 
Well, we start by defining the market. And what I find interesting about this is that in many startups and in many large corporations, it's not clear exactly how to define a market, define it around the product, a technology, a use case, a persona. And so this is where it all began. And I think most of your audience has probably heard this statement before. You know, people don't want the quarter inch drill, you know, they want the quarter inch hole. Right. <laughs> yes. And now there's a hidden meaning behind that, which says that we can look at the world of product development through the lens of the drill maker, or we can look at it through the lens of the hole maker. And when we look at it through the lens of the hole maker, the first thing we see is the reason why people buy products to begin with, which is to get a job done. You know, they're trying to accomplish some goal or objective. They're trying to avoid something. They're trying to make something happen. They're trying to make progress in their lives. Right. So they're trying to get some job done. And what we learned is that if you focus on the job and make that the unit of analysis, you can start understanding customer needs at a very different level. So the first step is just let's define a market as a group of people and the job that they're trying to get done. Rather than defining a market around something that's unstable, like a product or a technology, let's anchor on something that's stable over time so we can build on this and scale it over time without the threat of being disrupted by a different technology, right? So let's always stay focused on the group of people that we're trying to create value for and the job they're trying to get done, like parents trying to pass on life lessons to children or a surgeon who's trying to repair a rotator cuff. There's obviously thousands of different jobs that people are trying to get done, many of which require hardware solutions. Some require software, some require service, some require all the above. So that's where we start. Kevin, from there, what we'd like to do is then define needs in a unique way. In my IBM story, I said, if we only knew what metrics people were going to use to judge the value of our product, we could just design features to address those metrics. Well, those metrics turn out to be what we call desired outcome statements. So as people go about and try to get a job done, there's measurable outcomes they're trying to achieve. And I, I tie this back, and I think you'll appreciate this from a manufacturing standpoint. In the manufacturing space, you're trying to figure out at all times, what can I measure and control to ensure a predictable output? Now, let's take that same thinking and apply it to a customer who's trying to get a job done. A job is like a process. And so if I can understand the customer's thinking, how do they measure success as they go about and get a job done? And it occurred to me a number of years back that there's Obviously, you're trying to get the job done better. There's three dimensions along which we can measure better. The first is you can figure out how to get the job done faster. And that's why we like automating a lot of things. You can figure out how to get it done more predictably. So things happen the same way every time and there's no surprises. And of course, that's why we have statistical process control and manufacturing, right? To figure out, you know, where are those outliers? How do we control them? So there, there is no variability from instance to instance. And then lastly, how do we get a great result? That's why we focus on Six Sigma thinking, right? Let's have zero defects. Everything coming out of the process is going to be perfect. And so what that means from a customer standpoint is we want to know from them what they're trying to achieve more quickly, what they're trying to avoid that makes the process unpredictable, and what are they trying to avoid that makes the process give them a poor result. So quick example, you know, when preparing a meal, you may want to minimize the likelihood that the meal is overcooked or you may want to minimize the likelihood of undercooking the meal, or minimize the time it takes to cook it evenly throughout, or minimize the time it takes to clean up after cooking, or so on. And generally speaking, in any job that people are trying to execute, there are dozens of these metrics that they use to measure success. And again, they're all tying back to getting the job done better. Now, needs are knowable. Of course, if you're going to add a feature to a product, you want it to address one of these needs, but you want it to address the most unmet need. 
So when you start thinking about what feature should I add to my product in order to make it more attractive to customers, ideally what you do is you would add a feature that would address one of those outcomes that's highly underserved and highly underserved across the entire population. We call this the most efficient path to growth. So if there is a need that's highly unmet and it's highly unmet across 100% of the customer population, if you address, if you can create a feature that addresses that need, it's going to appeal to everybody. Now, in most markets, there isn't agreement as to what needs are unmet. In other words, there's always groups of people that have different unmet needs. In some cases, you know, you may only have, there may be a third of the market that's saying this need is important and not well satisfied. And of course, if that's where you're focusing your attention and you're only impacting the satisfaction of a, a need that's relevant across a third of the population, that's far less efficient than going after a need that's highly underserved across 100% of the population. And of course, then there's everything in between. So what we like to do for companies who are, whether you're startup phase, first concept, second concept, as you're trying to grow and scale, is understand what are all those metrics people use to measure success and which ones are most underserved and across what percent of the population. And with those insights, you can then make the right decisions. You can invest in the right features. That's very powerful, especially because if you look at a typical hardware startup, you have limited resources. It's the inevitable yeah. truth of a hardware startup, no matter how well you're funded. And the reality is most aren't well-funded and are trying to both get a product to market and also get a business off the ground. So right. the truth of the matter is you cannot be everything to everyone and you cannot have every feature. So I love how you've addressed the fact of trying to prioritize features by understanding what your true customer needs are. The other reality of a hardware startup is it's usually based around one primary innovation. Almost all hardware startups that we see at Maco Design, it's because somebody has had that aha moment either in their work or family life or some other area of the world where they've identified an unmet need. And that's what you talk about in terms of that gap in helping somebody get a job done faster, more efficiently, better quality, more reliably, whatever it might be. It rarely is more than one. So you've got one key differentiator that you've identified as a hardware startup. Yeah. It really enforces that concept of efficiency in your features, which then leads to the path of avoiding feature creep. Now, you and I, Tony, talked about feature creep on the show. We're both well into the hardware space, many years into it. We understand the pitfall of getting too aggressive with feature creep, especially as a hardware startup. Right. But can you talk a bit about how feature creep weighs into the model that you're talking about in terms of efficient feature selection? Yeah, absolutely. Because teams are presented with ideas for new features all the time. They come from everyone, right? They come from customers. They come from team members. They come from your management team. And somehow you have to have a mechanism for deciding, is this something we want to invest in or not? So the way we like handling this through the model is to look at the feature and say, if implemented, what outcome or outcomes would we be impacting from a customer standpoint? Like, would we be helping them minimize the time it takes to cook the meal, minimize the likelihood of overcooking the meal? Like, we're kind of reverse engineering this. You already have the feature and say, okay, what outcomes will it help people achieve? Then you can go out to customers and say, okay, we have these two or three outcomes. Tell us how important these outcomes are to you. And given the solutions you're using today, tell us how satisfied you are with your ability to address the outcome. All right. So, you know, how important is it that you minimize the likelihood of overcooking the meal versus how satisfied are you with your ability to minimize the likelihood of overcooking the meal? Now, what we're looking for here is a need that is really important 
to the population that you surveyed and not well satisfied. If there is no such need, like if the three outcome statements that you put in the survey come back and they all say, you know what, this is not important and it's already well satisfied, well, then you don't want to pursue that feature. If it comes back and one of the outcomes is important and unsatisfied, then you know that that's the focal point of the feature, right? It's the other outcomes aren't that important. So why focus on those? Make sure it's going to address the needs that are truly unmet. Or if all three of those come back and they're all underserved, then you want to ask the question, does this feature that I've conceptualized really address all these that well? Or do I need to make improvements? Because I validated that these are opportunities for you know, a really home run here from a feature addition perspective. So powerful when it comes to hardware startups as well, because one of the key things that you mentioned there is customer feedback. We are a big advocate on the show and at the design firm for short run manufacturing, test run production, that sort of stuff, so that you get a few units into real users' hands that they've paid for at a very base version. When I mean base, I don't mean low quality. In fact, I mean the opposite, a very high quality, but feature specific product, usually revolving around that one key innovation that the hardware startup came up with. Yeah. Get that out to market in a high quality fashion because quality represents your brand and hardware and you can't fix it with software patches. So you can never sacrifice quality, especially in 2023. There's just simply a minimum bar to what is required to even have a shot at a hardware product in the market. But what we're trying to do from a secondary perspective is to learn from those customers. So A, you're going to save money in development because you've really focused on that core feature, that core innovation. B, you're going to let the customers decide what they want to expand into. Maybe you hit it right out of the gate. That very simple solution that you offered satisfies a huge percentage of the market. And as a startup, especially, it's going to take you a long time to capture the entire world of total addressable market, even if it's just a piece of your overall planned addressable market with the eventual features of your product. That's one. Maybe you hit it right out of the gate. Or maybe, as you've mentioned, Tony, there's certain things that they would say, either you need more of this or less of that, or if it did this, that would be great. And this is where you start to get some real world feedback to help you decide which of those kind of core features will evolve your product from your first version, your initial yeah. release to subsequent additions down the road or potentially accessories or other brand line products, whatever it might be to actually build a world-class product brand over time via the feedback loop. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And what we love doing is, you know, I mentioned the metrics that, that you capture from customers rather than just reverse engineering your features to see what outcomes they address. What we often do is go out to customers and say, tell us all the metrics you use to measure success in getting the job done from beginning to end. And there might be, you know, a few dozen of them. Now, once we know them, we can quantify them with the customer population. We ask the same question. How important are these outcomes? And given the current solutions, how satisfied are you with your ability to address them? And what we're looking for here are needs where the population goes, this is really important and it's not well satisfied. Now, if you can discover five or 10 needs that fit that criteria, that becomes your path to growth, right? So a couple of things can happen here. As you're scaling and trying to get the job done better, you, know, you can start adding features that address those needs. There's a threshold. It's somewhere around the 15% range where if you can help people get the job done 15% better or more or 15% cheaper or more, they're open, right? That's when you start gaining adoption, right? And so th this is why it's so important at some point in your business cycle to go out to customers and understand all these metrics they're using to judge the success of getting the job done. And of course, you're trying to create a product that addresses those metrics. So they're getting the job done 15% better or more. And now you're creating winning products.
It's amazing you mentioned that 15% mark because it's really not a lot. And that's what the you know the world doesn't realize. It's not often where somebody creates just an epic new technology, especially in this day and age. A lot of the technology has been created or is happening in the software space. So when you look at hardware, very rarely does somebody say, okay, this is the new light bulb. You're using a candle before and you're using a light bulb now, right? Major changes. It's incremental incremental improvements, you know, 15%, according to your research, and you've worked with a lot of companies, 15% is what it takes to make truly a life-changing business. A big scaling product brand requires that level. Now, getting to that level is not always easy, but the reality is, especially if you have a core innovation, you're starting to listen to your customers to address the precise way that the product had worked to best serve them, especially as you scale over time, as you're trying yeah. to move from a first few units to test the market to a bigger opportunity to get more of the market into like a large scale production run. You should be learning at each of those intervals yeah. to really start to amplify the product value and be able to address a larger and larger percentage of your total addressable market. Yeah, that's exactly right, Kevin. And you're getting the job done significantly better each time. Tony, tell us a bit about what your organization does to help put together these feature lists and prioritize them for innovations in a hardware product as the product brand evolves. So we help, it's either we teach companies how to do this, or we do it jointly with them, or we do it for them completely. But we take them through this entire process where we define the market as a group of people and the job they're trying to get done. We uncover that set of outcomes. We put a survey into the field to prioritize them. We use that information to segment the market and find the most efficient path to growth. And what I mean by that is what needs are the most unmet across the biggest population? And then we work with companies to pick, well, of all those needs, which ones do you go after? And then help them conceptualize the feature set that will address those needs. That's amazing. And where can they learn more about this? At our website, which is strategin.com. So S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y-N.com. Tony, much appreciated for all your words of wisdom today. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Kevin, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Thanks for joining and see you next time.